Warning, this 17th installment of Spark and Review Podcast Bond Marathon will contain adult language, mature situations, vengeful spies with personal vendettas, cults led by Wayne Newton, super paranoid crime lords, Kari Hiroyuki Tagawa playing a hero, several memorable death sequences, and a wedding to die for. Listener discretion is advised. Spirekin Review Podcasts, James Bond 007, The Living Daylights. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the License to Kill. Oh, yes, you're right. (laughs) Let's do that again. Uh, I can edit that a bit. So, Spirekin Review Podcast, James Bond, or sorry, yeah, Spirekin Review Podcast, James Bond 007, The uh, License to Kill. Hello, everyone, and welcome to an episode of the Spirekin Review. Motion Picture Podcast. I'm your host, Zan, saying konnichiwa, aloha, bonjourno, what's up, and welcome to our 17th installment of Spark and Review Podcast's Bond Marathon, a.k.a. the Bondothon, where for the last, I don't know, 10, 6 months, 7 months, we've been talking about every single Bond movie leading up to No Time to Die, the 25th Bond film. We've been talking about some of the other ones as well, like we talked about the unofficial non-Eon film, which is so weird, uh, Never Say Never Again. We may be talking about Austin Powers and talking about Casino Royale, the original and the one which was from the 60s. In the original, I mean the 1950s one, which was a TV pilot where James Bond is an American named Jimmy Bond. It's crazy. And joining me today is... Hey, it's Doug from uh, AnimeCons TV and various other places. Yeah, I figured we should change things up a little bit because we've been going way too much me and Greta, even though Greta's a huge James Bond fan. I feel like if we mix this up, it'll be kind of cool. And also, we, we got to talk about Spectre when that comes out. Yep. And maybe we'll also talk about the one bef- two before Spectre, arguably the worst Bond film, but also one which I like that it's it's a sh- it's a shitty Jason Bourne film. <laughs> it's like it's James Bond trying to be Jason Bourne, but failing miserably. But it has arguably, I think it's one of the best deaths, or is this this one have the best death? I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you could check out any of the earlier James Bond Bonothon installments at www.spirekin.com and email me personally at zan, that's X-A-N, at spirekin.com. And you can check out Doug's stuff at animecons.tv. Do you have anything new talking about any of the new digital conventions? Um, well, uh, we haven't had too much yet because there haven't been many conventions aside from a few. We're starting to see on, uh, online ones. On August 1st, I will be doing a panel on all about Gundam merchandise for Otakon Online. So I'll have that. But And I will probably be talking with a couple of people after Otakon Online about the experience both as panelists and what it's like to just kind of be an attendee for that. I would definitely love to be on that also. And I'm going to be attending and speaking at uh, Anime Next Live, which is their digital uh, convention i got two panels uh from inside the pantry horror and anime and manga lots of people getting eaten by things which they shouldn't be eaten by and then uh order up cooking manga and anime practical applications but 
we're not here to talk about anime or manga, even though we love it so much. We could talk about all the various cool things, including some of the weird manga we've seen from Gundam, including, well, but we're, <laughs> or we could talk about the Bad Bunch or the oh, Bad shit. Batch. We talk about that. Oh man! <sighs> Otherwise, if we don't, if we do that, we'll never get to Bondathon. So no, we will not. But we'll keep that for another time because when that comes out, we will both watch that and we'll talk about that because it's going to be on Disney Plus, mm-hmm. and I'm excited for that. And that's from what is the season seven of uh, uh, Clone Wars or is it Rebels? Yep. It was Clone Wars season seven, the season that just finished. Yes, that's yeah. where they showed up. It, yep. So anyway, so this is the sixteenth official Eon Bond film that was directed by Glenn, John Glenn, and this is his actually eighth time working on a James Bond film, and this is the final time he directed because he directed the last five bond movies so this is it for him he's done he's no longer part of the bond film and i gotta say that his bond is very different than all the other bonds i've got to say going from living he did say that this was he thinks this is the best one he directed i kind of agree because he went and thought about uh our main bond his mentality and he made a very unique bond because this is one that ties into the mythology also Mm-hmm. And I love that this ties into the mythology with one line. But anyway, so this is produced by Albert R. Broccoli, Cubby Broccoli, and his uh, son-in-law, Michael G. Wilson. This is written by Michael G. Wilson, which is weird. And this is based on the James Bond franchise by Ian Fleming. And this is the first film in the series to not use the title of an Ian Fleming story. Though its plot's kind of original, they're elements from The Living Daylight's uh short story, the Live and Let Die short story, and the uh, Hildebrand rarity. And also, there's a little bit of uh, Yojimbo mixed into this. Mm-hmm. Which, that was well done. Uh, the music for this is by, not by John Barry, because John Barry was having throat surgery at the time. So this is Michael Common, the guy that they said is the poor man's John Barry. He made Lethal Weapon and Die Hard. So, he's not terrible, but I don't think he's John Barry. Nah, and like a lot of the score, like until like the very end, it's very forgettable, and it's not very Bondish. Um, we'll talk about the the official theme song by Gladys Knight at the end of this because I've got some things to say about it. <laughs> yep. Uh, so produced by Eon Pictures, which was United Artists at the time, and this was released. Uh, June 13th, 1989, and the 14th of July, 1989, in the United Kingdom. So you could see it in London on June 13th, or you could watch it in the rest of the United Kingdom on June, July 14th. Weird. Uh, it's got a runtime of 133 minutes. Uh, the budget was $32 million and it made $156.1 million, and we're talking about The Living Daylights, or... License sorry, to the, kill. <laughs> I, keep, I keep saying that. I don't know why. All right. We are talking about... License to Kill, a.k.a. License Revoked. I, I kind of like the original title a little better than License to Kill. I, I understand why they changed it. It does sound much more like a driver's license thing. I mean, when you when you hear that phrase. so I mean, if they said License to Kill Revoked? Maybe. I mean, that's a bit of a mouthful, but I can see it. You know. So this had a pretty star-stellar cast. Let's talk off. We had uh, Christopher Neum as Fallon, who is an MI6 agent who was sent to kill Bond uh, by M, which that part's really weird. You have, as we said earlier, Carrie Hiroyuki Tagawa as a Hong Kong narcotics agent who's trying to infiltrate the villain's operation. 
Mm-hmm. He's got a pretty good death in this, too. Yep. That's one of the better deaths. You have Grant L. Bush's Hawkins, a DEA agent, who's against Bond's vendetta. You have uh, Alejandro Perez as, or sorry, Alejandro Pracho as Perez, one of our villain's henchmen. You also have Benicio Del Toro as his main henchman. Mm-hmm. Very different hench. This is his first movie, too. So He is so young in this. Yeah. He looks so young in this. You have Don Stroud as Colonel Heller, who is the chief of security for our villain. You have Priscilla Barnes as uh, Felix Leiter's bride, which that's a messed up way to go. Mm. Uh, and speaking of which, we have returning as Felix Leiter, we have uh, David Hedison, the only one who's played Felix twice. First time was Live and Let Die, and then this one. And it's a nice transition, because you also have Sharky, well, Sharky's son shows up, Frank McRae. Mm-hmm. And that's that's calling all the way back to Dr. No, where Sharky first shows up with the first Felix. Uh, who else is in this? You have uh, Wayne Newton is in this as... Well, how would you describe Wayne Newton's character? A, a televangelist who's actually using his platform to... Con- um, uh, transmit coded drug deals. <laughs> I, his, his name is Professor Professor Joe Butcher of the Olympotech Meditation Institute. It, it's such a weird character, but I love it. it. He's like in the Repo Man. God needs your money, so send us your money. Yeah, like, like that great. he feels it. It feels very much like he has a job to do. But the rest of the time, they kind of just let him do whatever he wants. Oh, it's essentially a sex cult for him. He's like, <laughs> yeah. Um, I do want to mention one one person that I uh, one cast member, um, in here, Anthony Stark, who's uh, the, uh Truman Lodge, who's like kind of, he's the guy that's, like making all the deals for uh, the main villain and stuff, and like, and and he's such an '80s character. Like he's got that. Swagger and just all excited and stuff like that. Well, he's the eight like Futurama. He's the eighties guy. Yeah, and I but I was looking at something like, why do I know this guy? He's he's Jimmy from Seinfeld. He is this. He's a a great character, and he's the only character from a James Bond novel besides James Bond in the basic cast. He's mm-hmm. from the uh, Hiddleberg, uh, the but Hiddleberg branch, uh, the the the. the Hiddlebrand r- rarity. He's the villain from that. Yeah. And it's like really weird that you'd pick him to be your like not main villain. It's like he's a yeah. he does feel like a villain though, and he does get what's coming to him. He, he's he's the eighties hype man. He's the eighties business hype man. Um, I guess is the best way. I have in my notes. I described him as he is such a wonderful putz. Like he, he's competent, but he's just like any he, like he's that because he's young. If you're just a little bit older, you wouldn't want to deal with him, but you have to because he's the one making the deal. I'm, I I love his character. It's, uh... He's in it. He's in too deep. He knows he is, but he's still greedy. He's still yeah. hungry, but then when he knows he's screwed up, he's like, I can't get out of this now. Uh, and he when he starts talking down to his boss, I'm like, what is wrong with you? Yeah. He doesn't have, uh, what is it? He, he does not have um, much common sense. Now, another 80s stereotype, you have Everett McGill, who, wow, I'm mm-hmm. shocked to see him. And, and he is playing a DEA agent named Ed Killifer. He is obviously a good man. 
Oh, of course. So you when you what was it? He was in um I forgot. He was in um the people under the stairs as the really creepy inbred bro- uh brother husband father. Yeah. He's just a, a skeezy jerk, so you know he's not going to be a good guy. Yeah. There there's a there's a lot of great I know this person from somewhere else actors in this in this movie. Oh yeah. Um for her last time we have uh Caroline Bliss playing Miss Many Penny. So this is her second outing as Many Penny. For all like two minutes on screen. Even. Yeah, this was not much of a Many Penny. I th- I th- see why she was maybe let go. Yeah. She is no uh the the last Many Penny who was the quintessential Many Penny. This one was not so much. Yep. I mean she does more behind the scenes like uh, like her role is much more what goes on afterwards true but then the one character who gets a major upgrade in his role is desmond llewellyn as q he actually has like an awesome part in this and he's actually kind of more active and he's in the field yep and i think this is the last time we see him or this is his best time in the field and the next time we see a q in the field is uh the current bond yep i think and uh well one of those uh but anyway, uh, like I said, we have Benicio del Toro as Dario. He's the personal henchman, so henchman number one. And it's weird seeing him in this. Yeah, he he looks like I mean, it's his first role, but man, he looks like such a he looks like a kid like they picked him out of, up out of high school. Yeah, and he acts very like yes, he, he, you know, he's like yeah, man, you should do this. He's like okay, but it's still you tell you know it's Benicio del Toro. He has that uh, accent and his specific way of speaking. Yeah. And that sinister, it's like, she had a great honeymoon. Like, yeah. Wow. Uh, last couple, you have Anthony Zerbe as Milton Crest, who I think is tied for best villain death. He's a henchman who runs a marine research place. Mm-hmm. And we see what pressure does to people. Yep. Pressure gets to him a little too much. Or the decompression. Ah, uh, Yes. Um, you have Talisa Soto as Bond girl number two, and this could have went so different <laughs> yeah. with the way that was. And she's, uh, Lupia Lamora, uh, Sanchez's girlfriend. Uh, you have, uh, oh, I forgot, uh, the president, uh, what was the president's name? Uh, president, uh, Pedro Amodariz Jr. as president Hector Lopez, who's a kind of big deal. He's the president of fake country, Ithmus. Is yeah. it a fake country or is it a real country? I'm not sure. I think it's a fake country. Uh, it's it's fake country, but he actually does a really good job as it because he's essentially been bought the election to be president. Yeah. And this shows how villainous our main villain is, Robert Davi, who he always plays a drug lord or a criminal or a, I've seen him be a cop maybe twice. Yeah. But he is a very different Bond villain. He's not a Cold War era villain. He's not a member of Spectre. He's just a drug lord who's super paranoid. Yeah, like he's he's not set he's not set on world domination. And when he opens up, he's been arrested. It's actually the opening is he gets arrested. Yeah, and that's so I, I oh, guess we should get into it. And how does he get arrested? Maybe we should get into that. Oh, well, we're going to get that in a moment because you still have two more people, oh, the most important oh. people. You have Carrie Lowell as Pam Bouvier, who's an ex-Army pilot and CIA informant, the main Bond girl, who honestly is a Bond girl. Eh. 
Yeah. Like, uh, Taliso Soto seems like a Bond girl. She's totally a Bond girl. This girl, uh, Pam Bouvier, is very 80s, like, I'm a very butch girl who's going to kick your ass and maybe have a, a tender side, and then maybe we'll we'll hook up. But she does not seem like quintessential, you know, coming out of the water like bombshell. It's it's that, that, that weird part, and you see this in some 80s ones, where they don't know where to balance it, like... You could go go all in, be you know, super tough woman like, you know, have like an a, a Ripley from Aliens, who's she is so much more tough and everything, or you know, go a little more sense. And they, they they seem to seesaw a bit too much. Whereas I think if they pushed her a bit more, she could be a really interesting. Like just focus on her being tough, she'd be a much more interesting character. She just seems like they tried to replicate Pussy Galore and failed miserably. Because mm-hmm. he was like going to be a double agent and no, it just it failed. And then finally, his last time, even though he should have been another, another, uh, had a couple of roles, Timothy Dalton as James Bond. And this is his quintessential Bond film. Yeah. He's like, I, I, I don't mind Dalton as Bond. Like, I think a lot of people kind of forget, forget him at times, but it's like, I, I look at it and I like, I like his Bond. And it's interesting, like, geez, of course, falls by uh, Pierce Brosnan. And if you look at the two of them, you you look at them, it's like, yeah, you can see it like it's the same guy. Like, they, they look very similar. And they have the same feel about them that, uh, as I said in the last episode, James Bond at this point is not James Bond 007 for England. Like, yes, in the next movie, they talk about for England, James, he's all for the company. It's he's tired. Yeah, he's done this too long. He's after this, it becomes he just is like, I'm just going to do this and not get attachments and just deal like kind of my booze drinking and women. That's going to be my thing. This one is I'm tired and it actually opens up. Like we said, it's a happy moment in his life. It's one of his good friends. Felix Leiter is getting married and he's the best man. And right before the wedding, they get called. We're going to catch Sanchez. So they're in their tuxes. And yeah, it's a great. It's oh. a it's a just a great sequence and it's like but it's like they're they're going in, they know this Sanchez is, you know, really dangerous and stuff like that. So they're going in with the DA DAA and like he hands off you know, Felix gives James a gun. And my first thought is they've got all these guys, but no one thinks to say, Hey, maybe we should give uh the guy that's kind of coordinating a lot of this some body armor. Nope, just keep just keep the tux on. Nah, it's 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 his what it's gonna mess up his, his whole thing. Yeah. And the whole sequence is really well done and him getting caught is great. And then I just love the ending of them having to parachute right in front of the church and you see uh the bride to be just like, Where the hell is he? Where the hell is he? Like she's ready to leave him. Yeah. So we gotta go around the around the church again. Around the church. And then he just lands in a very Yeah. Um of course the reason they're able to catch Sanchez is because his uh, girlfriend has uh, gone off with another to fool around with another guy. Yep, and he went to kill the guy and claim her. And of course, that's the the very un- uncomfortable scene of you know off camera. But he whips her as punishment, you know, which is the the first time that you you see that seed of Sanchez's whole thing is loyalty. He wants yes. everyone to be loyal to him. And if you're not loyal to him, you will pay in one way or another. 
<laughs> and like uh, Lupe, Lupe gets like she, he would have killed everybody else, but her he has a kind of soft spot for, so he's willing to yeah push for it, and that is a good. Uh, and also, this sets up the thing that this is not your typical Bond movie. This isn't the Roger era, Roger Moore era, where it's kind of goofy and there's comedy and quippy. This is probably the least quippy Bond movie. There's a couple yeah, of there's lines, one, but there's one or two, um, and some of them more of them come from like the villains than the than Bond. Yeah, and he's because he's so he goes the wedding is goes off without a hitch. And it's afterwards, and it's him just walking around and uh, at the reception. And it's a great sequence, and he's socializing and hobnobbing. And then, well, one, the fact that the bride, the bride kisses him on the lips, I was like, wow, that's a, that's a, that's a thing. Yeah. I, I, I really, it, it seemed a little weird, but at the same time, I took it as Della, like, Della knows James. Like, uh, you, you always, you, I get the impression that. Della knows the life that Felix and James live, and it's kind of like, okay, this is what it is, you know. And it's it's a very it's it's affection it's very affectionate. Like it never feels like she's you know unfaithful to Felix or anything. Like no, they're just you know that good of friends that they've been they've been together and you know mean that much to each other. And they do bring up a lot. And at one point, uh, and this is the scene which it actually is one of the best parts and sets up in my opinion, his logic for why James does what he does in this movie is, she says, well, soon it'll be your time to get married. And he's like, not for me. And he walks away. Yeah. And then Felix's like, didn't you know he was married? She got killed. Yeah. It, it, he doesn't, she, it, I think he even just says he was married once and leaves it at that, which is, you know, way back to Tracy. Yeah. Uh, and it, it also signifies why this is probably because it's like he equates marriage with death at this point yeah like it, it, it you know he doesn't it's kind of that keep it at an arm's length and um of course uh you know while there's all the socializing and stuff like that um felix and della give james a very nice gift yes uh a, a very nice lighter with a very <laughs> uh beautiful inscription for it which kind of well do you think it, it would be an it would be a checkoff's gun that inscription uh i don't know if the, the inscription is but oh you know, the, what is it like we, we love always or something yep so yes, it's, it is but it's yeah of course, that of course comes back um but it's you know it's it's their gift to them and of course it's like either not adjusted well or something that gives off a very a very strong flame He's like, whoa, a little bit too much. And while this is all going on, you have uh, DEA agent uh, Ed Killifer interrogating Sanchez, being a little rough. And then when they're driving away, suddenly the the armored car gets hijacked, flipped over, turns that Killifer sold them out. He's the one who sold out the DEA for money to get Sanchez, and they're... They help escape, and uh, the escape sequence isn't bad. It's got a little bit of underwater stuff to it, but you know, because it said, "Oh, he died in the in the, uh, the he, he had the de agent, and they both drowned in the water." Yeah, not noticing their bubbles and that they escaped. But I, I love the interrogation with Sanchez because he's just so cool and collected, and he's like, "Oh, I'll give you know anybody that springs me will get a million dollars," and he's like, "You think you're gonna get away with that?" 
and he just calmly just says two. <laughs> like just calmly, and he he's he's a great bastard. Like he like so much of his language is just twisting the knife. So Sanchez is a great villain, and he is in control of the situation. Like we said, he's not a specter villain. He's not a he's. I'm the most powerful man in the world because I'm a drug dealer and I have nothing to lose. Yep. Money will buy anything. It's not any world domination, just money, money, money. Yeah. And I got to say the scene with after Felix and his wife get kidnapped. That's a hard scene because that's that's well, well the, the, the wife doesn't even get kidnapped. She gets she, left there. Oh, she gets. Oh, uh, yeah. We, we don't see what happens to the wife, but it's assumed that she was raped and murdered. Yeah, because, it, you know, they see, you know. So Felix is brought over to like the, the 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 aquatic research place, and he's like, "Where's my wife?" And that's where the line is: "We gave her a nice honeymoon," and that's that's a tough thing. Like, and when he sees Killifer there, it's like, "Oh, damn, that's worse because your friend sold yeah. you out on your wedding day." Yeah, and, and then how they how they they don't kill him, which is the the part which is just more sadistic. It's we know they killed his wife and they raped his wife, but then mm-hmm. instead of killing him, they just lower him into a tank with a tiger shark. Yeah, which uh, the weird the way they do this is so weird. They have him on one side of a pulley with the uh, the other side like a a side of meat. So as the shark takes bites from the the side of beef, you know Felix gets lowered and it's back and forth for a little bit. And again, part of it's so they can retrieve him, but it's still. Super weird. It's it's a smart move, but it's so yeah. Uh, it's it's just sadistic as the torture in it, and yeah. just and from this point, Bond finds out that one that Sanchez escaped, and he sees that the place has been destroyed. And early on, we had seen a scene where James and Felix are in his office, and he hides a computer disc behind a portrait. I just want to. Say, I was watching that, and I had to laugh because I realized this was. Cutting edge technology in 1989, but that he's able to burn a CD in his home computer in 1989. But it is a giant distraught. It is. <laughs> it's massive. Um, so I, I just found it really strange, though, that like they they interrupt you know Felix on his way to the wedding to catch Sanchez, but um, the way Bond finds out that um, Sanchez has escaped is he's about to board his plane. Or get his boarding pass. And he sees all this police activity. He's like, what's going on? I'm like, oh, some drug dealer escaped. And so he leaves the airport to go check, go to Felix. And he's the first one on the scene. Like, you think they'd be like, immediately as Sanchez gets scared, like, uh, maybe we should get the guy that helped capture them the first time. And one, see if he's okay. Two, get his help. <laughs> yeah. It, but it's a, but it's, it's a James little, Bond movie. Yeah, that was just one of those little weird things that took took me out of the moment for a bit so and this point they wanted to debrief him and he ends up going on his own investigation with sharky yeah well for, first he finds he finds felix yeah. at his house yeah um, partially eaten by the shark he's lost well, his leg and an arm i think uh he's lost an egg uh he's lost one leg and one arm is severely da- uh injured like they they um they they say he you know they they they'll they're going to work to save it, and of course this is again where the villain gets more equips than Bond in this movie because there's the note attached to Felix, which was he disagreed with something that ate him. Just, just 
Yeah, Sanchez is truly a horrific boss. One thing, though, and this is a slight spoiler to the end of this movie, at the end of the movie, when Felix finds that Sanchez is, is being murdered, he's, like, gleeful about it. He's not like, okay, yes, I got revenge, but my wife is still dead. It's like, yee So it's like, yeah. you can tell that all the spies are unbalanced. Yeah. And yeah, this, this, this is, like, one of the first times they really, like, toy in the franchise with the, this is not healthy behavior. It's not. It's not. And this has led to super unhealthy behavior because you have James essentially going on a vendetta. Mm-hmm. Now, first off, he goes to the essentially the the aquarium or research lab to find out what happens and discovers that they're actually smuggling drugs in the fish tanks in a actually kind of clever way. It, yeah. The the uh, the cocaine packets in the in the uh, tanks of maggots. To feed the fish. That's clever. But then we have uh, Killifer show up. And then he just... I love the fact that he just kills him with his money. He throws the money at him. Yeah. Oh, oh here's a... What's the what's line? Uh, oh, he just says... you. Yeah. Oh, you... He. It's like, oh, there's like t- two million in that briefcase. As he's dangling above the shark pit. And Bond just throws the briefcase and says, you keep it. And knocks him off it. Yeah, this is not uh, Quippy Bond. This is angry... This is, I think yeah. this is a more angry Bond than Daniel Craig. Yeah. Because this is not like I'm unbalanced. This is I'm on the war path. Yeah. Um, and so then he's, you know, trying to do more investigation and uh, a couple agents direct him to, um, he was talking with Sharky and then he's directed to uh, the Hemingway house to meet which with is, somebody. Which is kind of cool. And you see that M is there and also Robert Gray and they kind of... Uh, and this is, you see him, he's like, listen, we know your friend died, but you were supposed to be on a assignment in Istanbul 24 hours ago. Yeah. Take this ticket. The Americans will take care of it. You do this. It's and their, it's, yeah, it's their mess. They stay out of it. Yeah. And James straight up just turns down the assignment and quits. Yeah. And of course the, the this is, this is one of his quips in here is, you know, he's there at the Hemingway house and they're, he's like basically told to. Turn in his gun, and he says, "Oh, I guess it's a farewell to arms." <laughs> so that's a nice little. Yeah, uh, it's a smart pun. Yeah, it's a smart pun. But because he, he was trying to resign, and he wasn't allowed to. Yeah. So, but as he's about to resign, M just suspends him. That's yep. it. He just suspends him, and James escapes. So they have. So he he's he doesn't want to hurt him, but he's like he has to send some agents after him. But Bond is now a rogue agent, and this is the first of the films where he actually goes rogue. Yep. Even though you could say a couple other ones, he was rogue. This one's not as bad. Uh, how, how are we on time? We're good. We're good. No. Uh, no. Th- this was like. So this is like especially this first part. Like I guess like the first half of the film really doesn't even feel like a bond movie it feels like a like it's not really spy stuff it's revenge it's a it's a cop revenge story it is it is it feels very infernal not infernal affairs but like sanctuary very hong kong very hong kongish which i kind of like yeah. about that and then from here it leads to um bond stealing uh how much was it, like five million dollars from uh Something like that. Uh, I gotta say, I, I love the way that he sneaks into the uh, the uh, was it the crest wave, uh, the wave crest, is, yeah, the wave crest, yes, of the uh, for uh, the uh, lab in uh, crest is like he's to get to the isthmus, 
is he's like scuba diving, but he has like this tarp to make it look like on sonar or whatever. It looks like just a giant manta ray. That is clever, but but unfortunately, because of this, we get a death that is really sad for him sneaking onto the wave crest. Sharky gets discovered. Yeah, unfortunately, Sharky Junior, the second in the Sharky line, like all other Sharkies who've helped James Bond over the years, dies. Yeah, he gets killed by the henches, and but James escapes uh, with five million dollars and now he's going to use this to fund his revenge spree pretty yeah. much uh, um don't forget he meets uh loopy on the boat too yes he does he and, does it and, and kind of hides in her room and she admits she hates she hates sanchez and she and it's a he's going to help her out later on kind of thing like this is an enemy my enemy is my friend type thing but he also yeah. it's a hot girl <laughs> so yeah um, the interesting thing there, she has a really good line at that point where she's kind of seen all the killing and stuff and she just says, you know, you men don't know any other way. Like just kind of pointing out how broken it is. Like these are all, you know, you're just as terrible as them. Like you think you're a good guy, but you're pretty awful too. And like you said, this is the beginning of this is unhealthy behavior. This is the, yeah. this is making it more of a three dimensional character further than just, I'm a hero. It's, there is a hero with a big flaw. Yeah. So, but uh, so the way he escapes is kind of neat too. So he steals the money, like there's the um, from a seaplane that, that was about to load it. But they also have the uh, the research vessel has like the little submersible thing that I I think it's remote control, right? It's a like it's it, a ba- it's a remote control basilisk. Yeah, uh, basilisk so, uh, ballast. Yeah, so it looks very like. So, and I was, I was looking into this. It's called Sentinel. This, this film came out in 1989. So they're probably filming, you know, 80, 87, 88. Um, it was 1985 that uh, Robert Ballard fa- uh, found the Titanic and everything with like uh, the Jason Jr. and everything. So like, I have, I have to wonder how much of that was influenced by the, uh, that sub-technology and that exploration stuff being in popular culture at that point i think it would have been especially this is a very unique story too where the first half is very uh submarine sea base and how they resolve it is actually very uh clever yeah but so he is escaped with the money and how he escapes from the airplane is is awesome yeah but he's used the money to hire uh the contact who's pyam bouvier who's ex-cia and she was trying to infiltrate uh sanchez's whole organization to begin with but they end up meeting at a bar and then dario shows up and he recognizes bond immediately and it yeah. just gets into a huge fight and the bar fight is a little ridiculous uh, a swordfish is involved yep there's the uh dan- the the girl dancing in the middle for like two-thirds of the fight then finally screams yeah <laughs> it's it's a weird fight um but uh bouvier like Tell, like James shows that he's carrying his like his Walter uh, PPK, and she's just like tisk tisking because she's carrying a shotgun, which comes in handy for the escape. Yes, until until their boat starts running out of gas. Yeah, I had to say like I love that it just one shot from the shotgun just makes a perfect hole for them to escape out. <laughs> this is 1980s shotguns. Everything's explodium and easily breakable. Yeah, that's what it is. This is an 80s action movie at this point. Uh, and I, I, I love it. So, And this gets into crazy parts when how 
the setup is so they get the idea they're gonna make it that uh james is an assassin yeah who needs a job and he ends up selling out another uh mi6 agent to get this job yeah also um, oh go on i was gonna say uh right but right before then is the one scene in england where uh m's back talking to money penny and like scolding her about uh, typing errors on a, on a letter she wrote. Um, and it's, you know, it, it, it's not said, but it's hinted at that it's because she's concerned about James. Yeah. And she ends up convincing Q to help, help out James. Yeah. And you don't even see that. All you see is her picking up the phone and saying, calling Q branch, which is a nice little think about it. Don't, don't spell it all out. And going off to it, I love when Q shows up. He's like, oh, this is my uncle. And she's like, who's this? Oh, this is my cousin. Yeah. Oh, we must be related. And they give like each other peck on the cheek. It's like, That is a great scene. It is. And then you see uh, he's going to help out, and he has a bunch of different items. He has a camera, which is an old school camera. It's actually a, uh, a rifle. It's a breakable rifle. He has the the uh, Polaroid, which is a it's uh, what is laser. It? And it's also an x-ray machine. And what was the other device? That was really cool. Oh. That, that. The explode. Oh, the clock that you'll never wake up again. Yeah, the exploding. Um, so, but before that, um, Bond goes into the casino. Like, oh, he drops off a bunch of the money in the bank and gets a line of credit for uh, Sanchez's c- casino and makes himself very visible. Yeah, and this leads to him kind of getting Sanchez's attention. Um, so I, I love the the nod here with uh, Pam Bouvier, like he gives her an alias and says, "Oh, it's Miss Kennedy," as, which is a great nod to uh, uh, <laughs> uh, Jackie Kennedy uh, yeah. and how her maiden name was Bouvier. I, I thought that was really clever. That's one. Uh, of those, that's I didn't one catch those, that one. That's one of those little details I never noticed when I was younger, but now I was like, "Hey, wait a minute." <laughs> that is cl- that is clever. I didn't have to think that. Um, so. I do love the scene where he's ready to kill him with the sniper rifle, and they found that it's just it's un, it's and it just goes to pop because he sees that Pam is talking to the uh, the assistant in the other room, and he's like, "What the hell's going on?" Yeah, uh, this is also like that that the first like before the cue. Also, he actually finally meets up with Sanchez to try and talk about it, and he mentions the loyalty and stuff, and you start seeing the the uh, telethon. That's the code for the drug deals going on. But I love Sanchez's pet. Instead of stroking the cat, he has the pet iguana with the diamond necklace. Which it's it's a it's a good it's a good pet. It's one you would yeah. never expect, and he's just a very different villain. Yeah, he is. And this scene leads to well, one he's meeting a bunch of uh, Hong Kong individuals, including a translator. Mm-hmm. It turns out after the whole shooting that they're actually Hong Kong narcotics. They respond. And then because of this, that, and the other thing, we're not going to spoil all of it. He ends up getting, he finds out that they're a Hong Kong branch. Uh, He's going to work with them. But then his, uh, do we call him his his watchdog? Well, his fellow MI6 agent shows up there to arrest Bond. And he ends up, it just becomes a whole clusterfuck. Yeah. But. On the plus side, when Sanchez's men come to rescue him, he's able to say that the officers were assassins trying to stop you, stop me, you know, stop me, and I was trying to protect you. Yep. And because of that, he rewarded him for 
loyalty and takes him to his own hacienda, which is like it, it, I got the impression that it's on an island because they have to leave by boat. Yeah, and it's like he's like you you sit rest. You're one of you're one of my men now. I'm going to treat you well. Yep. Uh, and there's a there, there's a great scene when he wakes up. Like it's a it's a wonderfully shot thing because he's like in black pajamas and everything else in the room is white. Including it's like he wakes up and it's like this really disturbing fish statue that he looks up. But, you know, he starts talking with Sanchez and he's like, oh, well, I think there's a traitor in your midst. Because he, he knows what's happened with um, uh, Crest and everything. But Sanchez doesn't quite have all the details yet. So he, he's able to set up like, oh, I'm helping you by telling you that Crest is a traitor. And I love that he ends up... You, well, he uses uh, well, one. He is Lupe. Get him out. And I love that she's like, "I want to go shopping." Wait, 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 wait! Don't go. And uses yeah. that distraction to get to the boat to escape. And then he proceeds to break back into the wave crest and put all the money into the decompression chamber. Yeah. He's like, "I lost some money. I lost some money." And then he shows that they find it. And then Crest is thrown into the decompression chamber. Yeah. And just so yeah, he's put in, cranks the pressure all the way up. And then cuts the cord. Like again, Sanchez, and this is again where Sanchez has the the quip instead of Bond, because Crest explodes in the uh, compression chamber. And they ask, "What do we do with the money?" And what does he say? Wash. Uh, was it laundry? Laundry. That's it. Like That's money. It. I was like, "Oh, <laughs> he's such an awesome villain, and just so just." But you see, like he is a ticking time bomb. Like just he'll he flips on a switch. Yeah, well, he's also, even when he's doing stuff like that, he's maintaining a level of cool. Like he's 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 always simmering. But he's not like the guy who's like gonna flip out. Then he's like, I got I got straighten up. He's not like Wilson Fisk, where he's I gotta be calm. I have to be collected. It's yeah. he's you you should be on edge with him always. That's why when um, his accountant snarks at him, I'm like. You know, he could just kill you right now, right? Yeah. And this leads to, okay, so they're going to meet up, and he's going to take him to his official inner sanctum, which is a headquarters of a religious cult, but it's really his base. Yeah, and he's being, and he's brought there in the cars and stuff, which has a great ridiculous Q gadget, because Q's been like doing out-in-the-field stuff, so he's pretending to be like some peasant sweeping by the road, and he has the broom radio. <laughs> And he, and he has a big mustache. And he looks like a Mexican. You're like, yeah. what the hell? But it fits so well because he actually does pull it off as an old Mexican man. Yeah. And uh, so Bond and all the investors are brought in. And it turns out that they're going to des- – that it's a whole big scientific thing. They take the cocaine that you buy and they dissolve it into uh, gas. And then they sell it as fuel to the various Asian drug dealers. It's a whole scheme – and of course, you have uh, Joe Butcher as the middleman, and he's doing all this. And also, I do love that when um, when Pam shows up, he just she says, "Oh, I came all the way from Omaha. I got all this money." He's like, "Oh my my child, you must come with me." Yeah, I'll um, give you the real experience. Yeah, and it's around this time too that's revealed that there is a little bit more to. Um... Sanchez's thing where he's used some of the money to buy Stinger missiles, which, but it's only four Stinger missiles. They're, these aren't like ICBMs. They're just like 
rocket launcher once, and he has fought four of them. Why? Because he's not a supervillain. I don't think he understands the need for large munitions. He's just using this for intimidation, maybe. I don't know. But during the whole sequence, Dario shows up and immediately betrays Bond to Sanchez, and and Sanchez gets pissed off and just not handcuffs him, but throws him onto a conveyor belt and tries to interrogate him. Yeah. While he's being sent to a rock crusher. Yeah, because where they because that's how they crush the breaks of cocaine. And it's just like that whole in that interrogation is is good because he's trying to to, to to figure a way to just kind of get his way out of it. And it's like, well, yeah, because he like sli- he slips down a little bit, catches another part of the railing from his like tight hands and everything. And it, it feels like it feels like a nod, and also a raised stakes version of the um, back at Goldfinger. Where Goldfinger has a very slow moving laser. This is moving super fast. This is a very fast moving conveyor belt. This is, yeah, this is the exact opposite of that. And it's just as stressful because you're like, can he do it? Can he get out? Can he get it? Can he get out? And, and then, well, because of reasons, mm-hmm. explosions and whatnot, ends up uh, Bond escapes, but he ends up fighting with Dario on the conveyor belt. And I love that when he, he survives. He looks at Pam's like, turn the bloody thing off. Yeah. Like, yeah, because she just kind of freezes from like, oh, hey, you killed Dario. And he's like, um, hello. <laughs> you forgot it's something. Like, oh. And Dario just falls into the, when they're fighting. He he gets, they're trying to get out, get out, push each other out. And just how he falls in, it's just horrifying. I was trying to think, is that a bookend? Like, because is Dario the one that lowers Felix into yes. the... Uh... Yes, it, so it's, it's, a, a, it's a bookend. Yeah. Yeah. It's an ironic death for him and just... Mm-hmm. And he's not a bad uh, hench, to be honest with you. He does his job. He's just more just, I'm here to do stuff, nothing crazy, just really angry. He, Yeah, he, he's he's only there to be just kind of a... a muscle. He, yeah, a muscle, which is so weird because he looks so scrawny. But, but yeah, he doesn't have a gimmick other than he's just there to fight. Like he, So... I'm, I mean, the other two henches, we got Televangelist who ends up getting tricked by Pam because he's horny and just he's yeah. a, just a crazy, like, he's a Televangelist. And he's like, give me your money. And he's he's just leading a cult. And the yeah. other one is Crest, who, well, Crest, he was kind of greedy, kind of jerky, but eh, not great. So this leads to Sanchez escaping with Stinger missiles and four tankers full of cocaine. Yep. Now, okay, how could this go more crazy? Well, we're going to have Bond pursue him with an airplane. But first, first, don't forget how they have to get back to the airplane. They, they commandeer a golf cart. Oh, yes. Uh, yes, the Would golf you... cart. Well, everything's exploding. They're using a yep. golf cart. They get that. And so then it's in the, uh, they pass by Butcher. They grab the sack of money that Pam offered as the, uh, the way to get in. And he just, like, says kind of with an exasperated smile, what is it, like, bless you or something? Like, oh, he says, bless your heart, which is, like, the, your, the, yeah. the southern, yeah. what the hell? Yeah. But he's also, like, he's also smiling, dude. Like, yeah, you got the best of me. Yeah. Uh, uh, I do the, like that at this point you have, um, what's his name? Uh, uh, the other assistant. Uh, uh, Truman. Yeah, talking down to Sanchez at this point where they blew up everything. They've lost all this money. He's like, what are you going to do now? And, and Sanchez just straight up kills him. Yeah. Because uh, yeah, he's just like, I've had enough of you. Like, you're, you're saying, because Sanchez thinks he's, still thinks he's untouchable. 
Because he's just like, yeah, I was like, I can spring back from this. It'll be a setback, but but I can come back. And he's just tired of uh, Truman just saying, oh, oh, it's over, it's over. Because he's been saying it for like 20 times by this point. Yeah, because once everything started going out, he realizes this is not good, this is not good, this is not good. He's like, it's like, what the hell's wrong with you? And then just kills him straight up. Yep. And then we have a, a chase sequence involving three tanker trucks. Uh, yeah, which th- there's some... They're, they're in that vein of some of these stunts where... Because they have to catch up with the tanker trucks with the, um, the airplane first. And some of the stunts they pull are like border between awesome and stupid. And it's... It's very it's that, Mad Max. Yeah, it's it's the, it's that vein of so awesome, it's stupid, so stupid, it's awesome, a little bit at times. Yeah, and this it's just it it's super stunt filled and just crazy. You have cars falling over. Yeah. This happens, that happens. It's well, a, I, should... I, I won't spoil how, but I I I, lo- I love how he evades the missile shot at him. And it's just because it seems to come out of nowhere, but it's great. That that was out of nowhere, and just well, one the stunt driver deserves to get totally get like oh seriously because this is before CGI, so this was all practical effects. Yeah, the, the, like it's weird because it feels like a bit of a slow moving chase, but the stunts make up for it. It does, but long story short, with all chases, they have to end, and it ends where Bond destroys three of the tanker trucks, and. Sanchez and Bond on the final truck crash it, and you have Sanchez covered in gas, and he's gonna tr- and he's actually has the upper hand, mm-hmm. and James just says, "Wait, don't you want to know why I did this?" Or, or yeah, because he's like, "You could have had every anything or whatever it is." He's like, "If, if you if, yeah, if you were loyal, you would have had everything." And he's like, "Don't you want to know why I did this?" And he pulls out the lighter and just lights Sanchez on fire. Yep. And just you just see him and just he runs doesn't he run towards the truck setting yep. it off and then it blows up yeah. and then of course uh, Bouvier with the airplane shows up and she picks up James and then you have uh, Sanchez's former residence now the president is going to live there and you have Bond actually well one he talks to to Felix and Felix is all like thanks thanks for doing this for me buddy you avenged me like super happy to yeah. Him. Uh, you, you're listening a leg and your wife is dead and you're this yeah. happy. Either they got you on a lot of Prozac or something else. Yes. We don't know. And then, but more importantly than that, uh, M calls him, gives him his job. He's back to normal. He's no longer a renegade. And then one of the most interesting parts is you have both bond girls surviving. They're there and they make you think he's going to choose one, but he chooses the other. Yep. And that's how this one ends. Yep. I gotta say, this one is one of the darkest Bond films there is. And, like, it doesn't feel like a Bond film for half the movie. It's a revenge... But that's what yeah. this is. This is a revenge movie. It's it's not a Bond movie until Q shows up with the gadgets. And even then, it's still a revenge movie. It's very Yojimbo-ish. It's, I'm the guy who was hired by the two different people, and I'm gonna play them off each other. Yeah. It's very calculated. It's very Bond... I wanna say it's bond light because he doesn't have the gadgets so then, but he does have yeah. some good gadgets. Yeah, it's, and it's... I would put this, like, kind of right in the middle of it. Like, I can't say it's the best, I can't say it's the worst, but it's... It is a really enjoyable one. Like, this is probably one of the most popcorn Bond movies. Of so just sit back and have enjoy it. Like, don't think about it too much. 
Uh, and it is better, in my opinion, than The Living Daylights, which is kind of... Because I love the theme song. Well, we'll get to the theme song in a moment. Mm-hmm. But I think it's better than... Like, I have this higher... Like, this is under Thunderball for good, because the villain is not a Spectre villain, and he's really a effective villain. He does... He would have won if it was didn't get entangled with Bond. Yeah. If he hadn't taken this tour, he would have been fine, but he, he did, and that's where it ends. And there, there's there's some underlying themes that you know sneak in, you know they talk about how Sanchez is obsessed with loyalty and you know wonders about who he can trust himself, and James is like trying to you know trying to push everyone away, but he you know because he doesn't want them involved and like where he thinks Pam's but you know betrayed him, he gets very upset too, and the whole reason he's on this vendetta is because you know his best friend, one of the few people he thought he could trust you know, is almost killed and, you know, his wife is his friend's wife has been killed. And he was betrayed by a friend, which that's driving it home. Plus the fact that this reminds him of his own wedding. And and after that fallout where his wife got killed. Yeah. It's, this is making him just, this is about the job. Now you can't have relationships. Just do the job. Don't get attached. Yeah. This is not of where he was in the last film where he was. I can maybe I'm, I can retire and get out of this. This is, this is the only life I have because there's too much. Just everything else will hurt. Yeah. I just think this one benefits too from there's, there's lots of nods to previous things. There are several nods. Like there's Felix, there's, you know, the mention of his wedding. At one point, Bond mentions the company he works for. Yep. And things like that. So there's, a lot of neat things like that that I appreciate. Like that again, I just rewatched this to talk about this, and it's it's amazing how many things I've I you know I probably watched this last time I watched it was probably you know twenty years ago, but the it holds up, and I pick up on a lot more now knowing more Bond and just knowing more things. It's a film which is a very good. Um, it's a it's a slow burn, but it's a good slow burn. It's yeah. an enjoyable film, and like I, it's one of the higher up uh, Bond films. Really is up there. The villain, he's, I put him over Kamal Khan and below Lashi, uh Sorry, Doctor No, because he's a decent villain. He's not a great villain, but he's a decent villain. Yeah. Uh, Dario, on the other hand. Eh, yeah. He's he's not in the movie a lot. I mean, he's he's more effective than Mayday, but he's not really like I put him above Mayday and below Whisper because Whisper is yeah, he's the big fat guy who worked for Mr. Big. Yeah. Mr. Whisper, he had a gimmick and he had a bit of personality. Dario's just the <laughs> I'm going to do this. Like Yeah. He had no, he wasn't two dimensional. I'd agree there, yeah. Yeah, now let's get to the music of this. Um, yeah, this is not this does not feel like a Bond film because the music is different. Um, the opening sequence it feels kind of Monty Python ish because that gun, the hand with the gun, just keeps just showing up, just like the, it's not the, organic. The the weirdest thing to me rewatching this is it it starts and end with a you know a view of a camera with a giant. Olympus camera logo on it. Cameras aren't really essential to the plot of this at all. Like, 
Like they're, they're barely even used. Like no, they're not. And, and it's and I understand. It's like wow. And again, watching this as you know more of an adult, like wow, that's some really heavy product placement. But yeah. It's just like it just feels. It feels like it feels so out of place. It does because the opening sequence is just the camera the, with the 007 around the camera, and then yeah. looking at film, and holding a. It's if Greta was here, she would bring up diamonds are forever. That whole thing where the diamonds are forever, the cat with the diamonds. There's no diamonds. Only a little bit of diamond mentioned in the movie. This is yeah. the same thing. Camera shown, but nothing. Uh, and I just I don't know. It feels weird. It feels not Bondish at all. That the the song. I mean, yeah. a lot of people really like License to Kill. I just it's the a song. weird. It's a weird thing to sing about. <laughs> so it's like, and Gladys Knight's a great singer. It's just. It's one of those good singer, mediocre song moments. I do want to see the original song that was written by Vic Flick and Eric Clapton. Ooh, that would have been interesting. Uh, they made a theme, but it, it, no one could find it. It's it's because you can find a lot of the the downturned Bond themes. This is one of the ones you can't find. The closing theme, on the other hand, it, with Patti LaBelle, that one wasn't that bad. To, it, it, it worked for closing credits music. It is. But I still miss it when it was just, oh, it's the opening theme, but like, uh, like an end credit version. I do miss that. So, yeah. Speaking of the theme, like we were saying, you know, a lot of the overall score is very forgettable. I, I will admit, in the final chase sequence, when the classic Bond theme starts coming up, I was like, oh, shit. It's going down. This is going to be on. Like, yes. We're, 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 we're getting into it now. Like... I, I got. I will admit, I I got more excited than I expected to. That is the scene which you like, da 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 da, and that's when it you get psyched about it. It just. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, well, we could talk about some of the numbers, but this is a film which a lot of people, depending on how it looks at, people either hate it or love it. Um, they say it's one of the most harder films, but it should have had more flair. But it's entertaining. My thoughts on it are simply this. One, this is a, it's a film where James is very weary of life. And it's him just focusing on revenge. And for that reason, it's a great, in the grand scheme of things, it's a great set piece for what's to come in just him in general. Yeah. And it's a weary, like... Weary Bond, we get closer and closer to really nailing, and this is such a great ex- you know example of that. And it's you get the the impression that it's he's been in the business too long and he's made too many connections. So eventually, somebody you know, anytime he gets close to someone, they end up hurt. I do want to see where he. If he had another chance, what would happen? What would have happened with Timothy Dalton with one more James Bond film? Yeah. We're not going to get that, but there's an alternate reality where that did happen. Yeah, because this is, I think after this, it's the longest gap between Bond films. Yeah. Uh, this is not 89. The next one's 92, I think. No, it's later than that. It's like 90. Next oh, one's golden. Next one's 97. Golden. Oh, 95. 95. So six years. Yeah. I think, no, there's been longer gaps than that. Uh, 73, Yeah, no, you're right, you're right, because the longest gap before that was four years, so it's one year longer. Okay. Yeah. 
No, 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 uh, no, uh, uh, four, five, six, seven. yeah, no, this is the longest gap. But we had, like, with John Glenn, his last couple of movies, because we had, uh, for your, for your eyes only, no, it's Octopussy, View to Kill, Living Daylights, License to Kill, like, bop, bop, every two years, you had a Bond film. Yeah. Kind of like, like, I don't know, like, I, 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 I love stuff after this, but, if the the Bond movie franchise had ended at this, would you be satisfied? I don't think so. I don't think yeah. it would. It just it felt messy, and I mean, it was kind of cool seeing he 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 went cliche with the oh I'm going to choose this girl, but no, we're going to choose this girl. But that's just yeah, the love triangle is a little weird. It's a poorly done love triangle, and I like the connection between Lupe and. James, I buy. Pam and uh, James, that's like the pussy galore yeah. connection where it's like pussy galore was a, was the, the book. She's a lesbian and you could, she has that like dyke yeah. tendencies. Sorry for all lesbian uh, listeners, but it's, it's, she's essentially a very just angry yeah. lesbian. Well, but at the same time, you could also for uh, Pam, Again, you can draw parallels to Bond and other characters because, like, she's kind of done with this too, and like, because there's times where you see she's, you know, just as resourceful too, but she's just kind of she wants to be done too, and you know, yeah. working with Fields was going to be her way to finally get out. I th- I believe that this could have done if they had worked this better. This would have been a fitting ending to the series. Yeah. If they did it well, but they didn't. They didn't stick the landing. Yeah. Still, it's definitely worth watching and checking out. I, I recommend it highly. This is a def, definitely this is a, a worth watching once in theaters. Or, well, stream it, actually. You buy it on Blu-ray or stream it. It's a good movie. It's worth watching. I own it, but... Yeah. Know, that's because I'm crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely see at least once. Like, I, I think if you're a... If you're kind of that moderate Bond fan, like you're maybe you're not like have to own all the movies. I think it, you know, this is still one that makes should be in there in a in a collection if you're at least a moderate Bond fan. Yes, I I agree completely. Uh, and I think that's it. Uh, I mean, uh, next episode we're talking about arguably one of the most popular. Bond films, not just because of the video game, just it's an amazing film. It's got Sean Bean in it, and this also this began the trope of Sean Bean dying in every single thing except <laughs> except for Silent Hill, which that's really weird that he didn't die in that. Yeah. Oh. Uh, it, it missed... definitely it it definitely marks a shift, and like th- rewatching License to Kill and seeing what comes after this, it was interesting to see how it laid, it kind of laid some foundation. Um, and just knowing the change, like I said before, Timothy Dalton and to be replaced by Pierce Brosnan, like, they look like the same character. Some of the other Bonds are, look very different from each other, but they the two of them look very similar. And it's interesting that John Glenn was so anti, like, originally they wanted money paying to become M and they said no there's no way anyone would believe a woman could be M and then Goldeneye happens and well we'll talk more about that but yeah we get Judy Dench as M 
and uh it's been it's been this has been fun this is i hope you guys have enjoyed this let us know what you thought about license to kill did you enjoy it did you hate it did you like the villains in it did you like how james is acting in this did you think that the bond girls are awesome in it or did you think they were terrible uh and also how shocked were you when you saw shao khan being good guy shang Tsung. Sorry, Shang Tsung. Yeah, you're right. Shang Tsung. <laughs> Shao Kahn is, is played by someone we don't talk about because that yeah. movie doesn't exist. <laughs> yeah, but oh man, yeah. Karatagawa, like, he, he's one of those great voices, too, where, like, he, you hear him speak before you recognize him half the time. And then it's just like, I know that voice. And I, I, I love hearing him. Also, fun fact, if you have a PlayStation 4 or an Xbox, get Mortal Kombat 11 because he is now officially Shang Tsung. <laughs> Uh, oh, he's like your soul is mine. Like saying that he's, the... he's still got it too. Oh, he still has it, and it's so cool seeing that. So yeah, so the, with that in mind, thank you guys for listening. I'm Zan. Check out our website, Spyker.com, for our movies, mangas, video games, television, games, boards, and other things as well. And you could find Doug at um, just look up me up on AnimeCons.tv. Also, you have two different Twitter accounts, right? Um, yep, yeah, I have. You can find me on at Nigoki, which is a little uh, protected, but if you add add me, I'll probably add you back. Um, and usually, I forgot to do it for this film, but often when I'm going through an anime series or stuff, um, you can find just some of my random musings, which is just at Nigoki Watches. If you find a picture of uh, Kenshiro from Fist the North Star punching a horse... That's my account. He doesn't punch a horse. That horse ran into his face. <laughs> ran into his fist. <laughs> uh, well, thank you guys for listening. We are gone, so I'll catch you guys next time. Just keep watching Bond movies. Later. Later.
This is nothing personal. It's purely business. Killing me won't stop anything, Sanchez. See you in hell! <laughs> this private vendetta of yours could easily compromise Her Majesty's government. You're going after Sanchez, aren't you? Are you crazy? Make a sound. No! Your license to kill is revoked. Effective immediately. In my business, you prepare for the unexpected. 
problem solved. I'm more of a problem eliminator. <laughs> this is where it ends, Commander. He's got to be stopped. You could have had everything. Don't you want to know why? 